Coffee Homegrown really stands out on its own as far as the story that it's telling, but also the music and the arrangements that she uses. So I was really attracted to, I still am attracted to, um, of how different everything sounds and how she produced it and, um, you know, using the different lyrics and voices that she that she did. It really mm-hmm. stands out as something, um, you know, she would have been like, I don't know, maybe 20, 19 or 20 when she wrote the song and it sounds really sophisticated humor for someone that's 19 or 20. Mm-hmm. And so it really intrigued me that this was coming from a teenager, basically. Welcome to Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. I am Cecily Link, and this week's song is the ninth track from Kate Bush's second album, Lionheart, called Coffee Homeground. So before I get into a discussion of the song itself, Coffee Home Ground, I wanted to mention something that was named after the song, and that is the long-running fanzine Home Ground, which was started in 1982 and edited by Christina Fitzgerald Morris, Peter Fitzgerald Morris, and David Cross. And it was a fanzine run independently of her record company, that was a way for Kate fans to connect with each other, write reader articles, share artwork, and even poetry inspired by her songs, all in the pre-internet days. The magazine itself is no longer being physically produced. They stopped in 2012 with issue 79, but you can get two volume anthologies compiling all the different magazines on Amazon. And you can even order back issues. And while the magazine's no longer being physically produced, you can also go to katebushnews.com. And the same people who ran the Homegrind magazine also helped to run that website with the help of Sean Toomey, who has been running the Kate Bush News and Information website since 1998. So... I wanted to put in a little mention for Homeground because while I myself have only browsed through a couple of their issues, I think it's worth mentioning, especially with the history of this song and also just the history of Kate and fans in general. It's really interesting for me to talk with fans for this podcast and connect with people who tell me a little bit about what it was like to be a Kate fan before the internet came around. As you can tell from my voice, if this is the first time you're listening and because you randomly found me, if you're listening to my voice here, you can probably tell I'm younger. I'm 33. I was born the year that Hounds of Love came out. And when I got into her in 2005, I was on the internet looking for other people who liked Kate's music. I actually went to the Kate Bush News Forum and I would lurk for a while. I was 
mostly a lurker. That's kind of how it always been really with internet forums. I don't tend to post very actively. I'm just kind of in the background looking around because I'm an introvert and that's what I do. And that was my way of trying to connect with other people. And now in 2018, as this is being recorded and released, uh, I've been connecting with people on Facebook. That's where I've been finding a lot of my fans to talk with for this episode and also in other various places. So all of this to say here that if you were a fan of Kate in the early days of her career and you remember what it was like to be a fan of hers and trying to connect with other Kate fans before the internet, I want to hear from you for a special episode that I would like to record later this year, 2018, if at all possible. This is going to be an in-between season episode, so it's just a little special thing kind of tiding people over between when we talk about albums and everything like that. You can contact me either by email, kbcast at linkmedia.com. That's link with an E. You can also find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash strangekatecast. And also you can find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Podcast. I want to hear from you. So without further ado, let's get into this week's discussion. So the fan we're going to be talking with for this episode, you will remember him from the Symphony in Blue episode. And now here he is to talk about one of his absolute favorite Kate Bush songs, Coffee Home Ground. So here we go. And with me to talk about this song, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, this is Daniel Thomas. I've been a Kate Bush fan since 1992, and I'm calling from Seattle. And yeah, we're we're doing a trans trans uh, country call here. I'm in Virginia, so yeah. <laughs> and the future's looking pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, this is great. It's great to finally talk with with someone that has a great knowledge um i've listened to a lot of the podcasts so far oh cool and um you really have a great knowledge of uh kate bush and the music you've obviously thought about the songs and everything so um kate bush fans in the u.s are hard to find sometimes so this is a nice nice thing to get together for indeed well thank you so much for taking time to be on my show today yay yeah it's my pleasure So, Coffee Home Ground, when, uh, when I messaged you, you said this was one of your go-to songs here. So, why are you a fan of Coffee Home Ground? In, like I said, in 92, I associate Kate Bush with, the, with Autumn the most as a season. And um, I got into her music in September of 92, uh, and I lived in Michigan at the time. So, the change of seasons were very obvious. Um, the first album that I got into was uh, The Dreaming, and then the second album that I got into was Lionheart. I kind of got sidetracked a little bit because I expected most of her work to sound like The Dreaming, which really mm. isn't the case. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and when I got to Coffee Homegrown, I said, oh, this is where she might have started getting the ideas to go in the direction for The Dreaming, because... For me, Coffee Home Ground, um, I don't know how cohesive 
uh, the Lionheart album is, is as far as her other albums go, because she's such a storyteller and a lot of the stories are connected in some way. But Coffee Homegrown really stands out on its own as far as the story that it's telling, but also the music and the arrangements that she uses. So I was really attracted to, I still am attracted to, um, of how different everything sounds and how she produced it and, um, you know, using the different lyrics and voices that she that she did. It really mm-hmm. stands out as something, um, you know, she would have been like, I don't know, maybe 20, 19 or 20 when she wrote the song. And it sounds really sophisticated humor for someone that's 19 or 20. Mm-hmm. And so it really intrigued me that this was coming from a teenager, basically. I really love the music because the music just sounds like it. Kate Bush has um, a tendency to, um, she'll make modern songs, but a lot of the sounds that she uses are from a past that she wasn't alive for. Mm. Because the imagery that I get from Coffee Homeground is very turn of the century. Mm-hmm. And you can hear some of the, you know, you can hear some of the effects and everything that maybe someone would have written a song of in the 1920s or 30s. It sounds like she has some kind of connection uh, to that sound, and it comes through with this. Yeah, when I interesting that a nineteen or twenty year old would be able to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you about like the sound of the song that it does sound like something from there from like the tw- early twentieth century. I get kind of an arsenic and old lace sort of vibe to this song. Like, like yeah, I could see that. Like it's probably because she's she's naming all sorts of different poisons in the song, like like arsenic and cyanide, which is commonly said to smell like bitter almonds. Of course, you know, that, then how come this smells of bitter almonds and belladonna? So I, I get a real like arsenic and old lace sort of vibe to this song, and I know that that was like in kind of twenties and thirties. I think was from the play was from something like that. Yeah, I think that sounds right. Yeah, my high school put on a production of it when I was when I was in high school and it and I know that there was a movie version done with Cary Grant in it. I I think from the 40s as well. That sounds right. I remember seeing it in high school. I think it was from the 40s, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's got this like old cabaret kind of feel to it. And I know she she's she said that it it's supposed to be kind of uh, sounds very German, like Brechtian almost, and I can hear that like from the little little bit of cabaret that I know of. Yeah, I can I can definitely I can definitely hear that, and I know that that that's the point of view that she's coming from. But when I fir- very first heard the song, an image came to mind that was that has stuck with me since, and that has always been of the circus. Mm. I feel like. A, a really big image for me with this song is kind of opening up, like if you kind of visualize a video, um, kind of opening up into a tent of sort of like the old time freak shows in the beginning of the like the 20th century, the traveling um, circuses where they would have, um, you know, kind of like the step right up type of thing mm-hmm. and see this and that she's kind of presenting something kind of scary. Mm-hmm. You know, the song is said to be about paranoia, so oh, yeah. it's kind of like a way to, you know, someone like coming into a tent and saying, like, your neighbor's out to poison you or, you know, doing like this presentation about 
um, things are not as they seem. And just the opening notes of the music always reminded me of like a calliope or something that would be found at a circus at the same time, like the 20s or 30s. And it's it's one of two songs. I've noticed that there were like when I go back and listen to Lionheart that you know you mentioning that the song is kind of about paranoia that this is the second song on Lionheart that is about paranoia because the one before that is Full House. Yeah, I think the one thing with Kate Bush um that I I've kind of got to know you know a lot of people um they seem to always compare female artists Mm -hmm. more so than male artists oh definitely and one of the things that i agree with um kate bush has mentioned Joni mitchell before as being a very big influence and i think one of the similar things that they have is that they both are very good storytellers about people other than themselves. Mm. Even when you know, um, especially Kate Bush, I think in that case, Joni Mitchell is a little more transparent, but with Kate Bush, she's very good at hiding her own points of view in other characters and singing from that point of view. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that I really enjoy about her, but it's very hard to see, well, how would Kate actually feel about the subject. So I think when you look at Lionheart, there are the two songs that are about paranoia. There's also, I'm sure you'll talk about Hammer Horror, which is about Mm -hmm. being terrified of something. Yep. But if you look at her career, what she was doing at her career in her career at the time, she, she was kind of, she talked about this album kind of being put on her. Like, this is what you're expected to do. Mm -hmm. And this is part of your responsibility and what you have to do. And so I can understand being, like we said, being 19 or 20 and having all of this responsibility put on you of why she would be writing about paranoia and being terrified Mm -hmm. because she's not in her house anymore. She's not at home writing songs, hoping to get discovered with a demo. She's delivered a song and then later planning a tour or now she delivered an album and then later a tour where people are saying, now you have all these expectations on you. Mm. And so it's it's kind of like a gateway to see what she's like. And I think maybe because the paranoia and the fear that she was feeling is kind of so close to her, she deflects it with humor. Because if you really, if you kind of don't know the background of the song, if you just listen to the song, it sounds pretty dark. Oh, yeah. I mean, she's she's talking about <laughs> someone like, they're trying to murder me in so many ways and probably have bodies hidden in the walls and I'm next. Mm-hmm. And probably the last came to your house. I'm probably sitting on top of them on the couch. Like they're hidden in the floorboards. Mm-hmm. And so in order for me to not have such a dark song and have this juxtaposition of this whimsical song, but the dark lyrics, she had to inject some kind of humor and, that's what sticks. That's one of the things that sticks out again is that she would really have to be a sophisticated artist to be able to put all of those things, to use all of those colors and have it be a cohesive song. Mm-hmm. And that she did it 
supposedly while she was in America promoting herself for her only American TV appearance on Saturday Night Live, apparently she wrote this while she was going and doing promo stuff, which is a little bit unusual for her. Like, you know, just because she was usually, you, she was at the home, at home playing piano. And like you were saying, there was a lot of stuff put on her shoulders. Now you're going to go travel the world. <laughs> yeah. And then you have to break into America, which, I mean, I don't, I don't exactly know where they were trying to put her as for a genre or how were they, how were they trying to market her in the U S at that time. But for a European, for a, you know, British artist to break into America, I mean, at that time, the standard was always like the Beatles mm-hmm. or like Queen. Like, I mean, they were making like such a huge impact and, you know, Kate sitting on a piano singing a song in a leotard, like that's not Queen. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's <laughs> not the Beatles. And so she knew, she knew how unique her music was. And I'm sure that it's a really terrifying thing to have to be able to to have to feel all this pressure and not really know what to do with it, and so it's remarkable that she was able to write a song in sh- such a short time because she is very much about taking her time. Mm-hmm. She's very much the opposite. So that's really telling about how did this music come out of her so quickly? She must have really been under a lot of pressure. What do you think for um, for Coffee Homegrown? Like, I don't have much technical language about <laughs> the music, but um, do you think? What do you think about the arrangement of the music? Because that really is striking. Mm-hmm. That's probably the most striking thing to me about how she arranged the music. Yeah, the in my opinion, this is probably the most musical theater so- sounding song that she's probably ever done. Like I listened to this, I remember sitting when I first when I first listened to the whole of Lionheart. It was 2006. I just turned 21, and I was in France, and I got Never Forever and Lionheart because I couldn't find hard copies of her other albums in the U.S., but I did over in Europe, and so I got those two albums, and I listened to Lionheart. And this song, like the from the first notes, I'm going, okay, this sounds like something right out of a musical. Like it reminded me of some of the stuff that I had to sing when I was taking like more classical voice lessons, where we would do musical. <laughs> we had to do musical theater and then Italian opera kind of stuff. And this reminded me of some of the musical theater songs that I had to do except that my voice does not go all over the place like hers does in this song like hers does i mean she no she's a, really she's well like and then takes to the height she's like first soprano i'm like mezzo i'm like not quite i can't i can't stay up there like she can but i love the arrangement it is so quirky it sounds like something like i i hear this and i imagine i'm i should be singing an old smoky cabaret and it's probably somewhere in Germany because she definitely affects a German accent. In fact, I will say it's because of the German accent that I could not understand what she was singing for the longest time in half the song. <laughs> I'm just kind of like, well, she's just doing her accent thing. I'm just going to kind of go with it. 
Yeah, there's there's a few songs like this one that when you first hear them, it's kind of Kate speak. Mm-hmm. You just kind of like try to do the gibberish along with her to make it sound like what she's saying, and then you find out later what the lyrics are. Yeah. <laughs> and this is definitely one of them. Like what the the verse like well maybe you're lonely and only want a little company but keep your recipes for the rats to eat and may they rest in peace with coffee <laughs> home ground I had no idea that that's what she was singing it was just like eh, yeah that took me a while to learn those I was like okay where's this gonna okay Kate we're going to it we're going here are you And then when, and then, yeah, I re- not necessarily in this song, but in other songs on Lionheart, like she'll have, especially in, in Hammer Horror, when I get to Hammer Horror, she'll often have um, a background vocal behind her that's doing something completely different. And so that makes it like, okay, I have definitely have no idea what you're singing, but we're just going to go with it. <laughs> yeah, that, that point, I think, is really evident on this song where you're saying, one thing is doing this and then over here we have this and it's not, it doesn't sound disjointed because that sounds like it's not working together. Mm-hmm. But on coffee home ground, I think it's true of, um, I think this statement is true with all of the songs on Lionheart, but especially coffee home ground. If you put, if you put earphones in and listen to the songs, the way that the songs are arranged, you can very much hear all of the moving parts mm-hmm. and they're working together and it's symphonic, but they're definitely separated. If you go to something like Ariel later, you can't tell what's happening at what time really. Mm-hmm. You don't really know. I mean, there's things that are buried or things that happen every fourth or fifth measure that you don't even pick up on that you have to listen to a particular song many times to get all of the things that are happening. And especially with coffee home ground, again, what I love about how she produced it is that how she created something. Each piece is so on its own. It's so independent, Mm -hmm. but it makes such a beautiful melody. And it seems like everything is working together to make one song. So it's like, you know, it's like, what came first, like that type of thing. Like, how do you get all of these separate things to be one voice, but you can still hear them separately? Mm-hmm. It's probably a lot to do with like talent. how it was mixed and recorded. And I have to wonder if part yeah, of it is because preview. of like... It's a big preview of what's coming. Yeah, definitely. Like her, her producer, I know it was a... Her producer, Andrew Powell, who did the arrangement of the orchestra, although the apparently the uh, the main riff that da 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 I know that's a little bit down from where it is, but I can't sing that high, that that riff <laughs> was um, actually written on the piano by Kate herself. But everything else like was all done up by the producer, who was Andrew Powell, you might remember I talked about him a lot for the Kick Inside episodes because, of course, he was the producer. So there you go. He's also produced with tons of other artists like Leo Sayer, Donovan, Cliff Richard, Christa Berg, 
two artists in a row right there who are much bigger outside the U.S. than they are here. (laughs) Nick Hayward and even Michael Crawford and Elaine Page, two wonderful artists at the stage. It's worth also noting that he has written for the movies Rocket Gibraltar and a movie that I saw, Lady Hawk. I've seen Lady Hawk a couple months ago. I looked in the credits and saw, oh, hey, I recognize that name. So there you go. When they were doing the demos of it, um, this is actually, um, I have a little quote here from uh, Musician Magazine in 1985. They were doing an interview with, um, it looks like Kate and her brother. And her brother, Patty, said, um, as a matter of fact, Coffee Home Ground violently mutated. When the first demos of it were done, it had a decidedly different flavor. The Brechtian treatment didn't appear until much later on. That only took shape when Kate got the idea of treating the song with a slightly German sort of flavor. So with a song like that, this interview, I guess. So with a song like that, it's Kate who actually conceives what's possible and then looks to the musicians or to an arranger to actualize it. And then Patty says, oh, yes, yes. But in the case of Coffee Homeground, it did mutate. The Brechtian feel is something that appeared only gradually during the actual recording and became more definite as time went on. I would love to know what the first treatments of it sounded like. Yeah, where are those demos? Yeah, you no, know, seriously. Come on, guys. Let's leak this. Sh- let's leak this shit. Come on, man. <laughs> I mean, there's there's like if Kate is going to start recording something, she needs to just have a continuous recording feed mm-hmm. to see how songs morph because I can't imagine how. I mean, if if it didn't have the effects that they're talking about that it later had, mm-hmm. it sounds like it would be a really heavy, dark, I mean, just no no kind of, uh, you know, break. It's just dark and heavy, and that's it. And her yeah. voice may, might have been a lot lower. I don't know. Maybe. So I know we were kind of talking about how both of us, like we listened to the song or like, okay, we don't quite understand what she's singing of what you can discern of the lyrics. What is your favorite? What is your favorite lyrical moment? I think maybe you're, maybe you're lonely and need a bit of company. I think that's what she says. And only want a little company, but keep your recipes for the rats to eat. Yeah. I think that, that, not only the lyrics, but um, the way that she sings it. Because she's still, she's kind of, let's say that, you know, the character that she is in the song, that she is actually talking to a murderer. Mm -hmm. She's talking to the murderer in a very, like, light and humorous way. Mm. And she's not addressing the fact (laughs) that this person (laughs) probably has dead bodies in their cellar or in their walls. Mm -hmm. She's kind of saying, I know you did this, but maybe you're just lonely. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that I, I think if I met Kate, I think I would discover, I mean, it's kind of obvious through your music. I think she would have a very dark sense of humor and a very bizarre sense of humor. And this is one of the, I don't know if one of the first, but it's an early um, evidence of that. Mm-hmm. And that lyric, I think I could listen to that lyric all day. I could listen to that that part of the song all day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think for me, it's... Because I share that humor, so I really like mm-hmm. it. Well, and, 
she yeah she's apparently has said that she's influenced by a lot of humor by a lot of british humor and i know probably maybe the average person might not think that oh well but she comes across as kind of a serious artist no if you look like you like you were saying you listen to the song there's actually she's got a bit of a dark sense of humor here (laughs) but coming from somebody that you know she grew up listening to folk music that i mean come on she did her own version of the lizzie wan story which is pretty dark i mean depending on which version you listen to either you know the brother cuts off her head or he just or he doesn't tell her the parents what happened either way she was listening to this stuff so it, it doesn't surprise me that like you were talking about that this has a lot of dark humor in it <laughs> yeah i really appreciate that about her i there you know i don't know much i don't know much of the era of british humor that she would have grown up with but thinking of later i mean we get things i do well know well are like little britain and absolutely fabulous mm-hmm. which do, which that is a you know those two i think like later are a really good example of british humor and they're both can be really dark or really just bizarre especially mm-hmm. little britain it can be really bizarre and it's funny how a non-musical um, influence can show up so much in her music. Mm-hmm. Because when you listen to her music, you don't... She may have really enjoyed listening to Joni Mitchell. I'm sure she knows a lot of her songs, but you don't listen to a Kate Bush song and say, oh, I can hear that that's an influence from Joni Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Or I know that she said a lot about Brian Ferry and Roxy Music, that that had been or David Bowie, that those two had been a really big influence. Elton John, big influence. Mm-hmm. You don't sit and listen to a Kate album and say, oh my God, Never Forever, she was listening to, you know, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, and it's so obvious that, you know, that's an influence. You never can say that. You can't pinpoint what influences her music except things like non-musical subjects like British humor mm-hmm. or dark stories or fairy tales or... um which are themselves, you know, pretty dark if you listen to their original incarnations. <laughs> yeah, and it's like oh, you you had to read you read the same story I did and you got humor out of it. So how did you do that, you know? wonder with this song if some of her I, I wonder if she has ever read a uh, Raul Dahl story that when I was poking around about this song that there's there are some theories that perhaps she might have been influenced by a story called The Landlady that is a story about a, a lonely old lady who runs a bed and breakfast and she has nobody else around so she likes to poison her customers and then after they die she stuffs their body and taxidermies them so i wonder if she if kate was if kate knew about that story and maybe that kind of seeped in a little bit to her writing this song or what because when as i'm reading i reading like the plot summary of the landlady 
reminds me a lot of this song, especially like, you know, maybe yeah. you're lonely and only want a little company makes me think of the landlady who's really, really lonely. And she, so she kills people and pre and kind of keeps them around. Cause in her own crazy way, she can create her own stories for them and not really know who they were as people. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I could see her doing that. I mean, I think maybe at the time, you know, it's funny because I think this is just my, my theorizing about her music, but I think if she had written coffee homegrown, maybe 10 years later, she would have taken on the perspective of let's, I mean, let's say that that, is true that she read the story and it intrigued her and it inspired her to make a song. If she had done it 10 years later, she would have taken on the perspective of the landlady and she would have written mm. from that point of view. Because if you look at later, and I know we're not talking about other songs, but like if you look later, like for an example, pull out the pen, she's writing from the perspective of a soldier. Mm. You know, and in, in other songs, she's talking about writing, you know, I'm the uh, Molly Bloom that escaped the book and mm-hmm. I'm talking from her perspective. But um, maybe in Coffee Homeground, she wasn't she wasn't secure enough to do it from that point of view. And it is instead confronting her because what she was doing at the time was confronting her own fears and the people mm-hmm. in her life and the executives that were saying, you know, we're scheduled to do press tomorrow and you have to look pretty for the camera mm-hmm. and make sure that you do this. And we just got last week's album sales. So you're responsible for that. And, you know, she was kind of fighting her own demon, so to speak. So it kind of, again, tells you maybe where she was in her life or how she felt about her, about herself mm-hmm. because she wrote from the, point of view of a would-be victim as opposed to someone that's really like just in control yeah and she does she and kate really isn't known for doing super like oh yeah i'm gonna sit down at the piano and do a confessional sort of song no she'll tell it she'll speak her thoughts through a story or somebody else rather than having her go up there and be like yep yep i'm here i'm kate bush Instead, she's a completely different character. Yeah, it's so rare to hear her. I, I can only think of a few instances in her discography where it's clearly from her own voice. Mm-hmm. Most of that's from the Red she Shoes. She just isn't that artist. Yeah, I think probably Moments of Pleasure. I think that's probably her most personal song that she's released. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just being from her own identity. Um. And a lot of the songs on Lionheart, I think, it's a shame because I think when she talked about Lionheart, I think it holds up as a good album. I, I don't, oh, I do agree. I don't, you know, I think a lot of times she always mentions, anytime she was asked about it, she always mentions how kind of required it was and how she was just kind of forced, like, you need to put out another album and you need to go write songs. Mm-hmm. And I know that she said, well, you know, this aspect or this aspect I'm not really happy with, or if I had to do it over, you know, I would do it this way. But I think the album really holds up. I think it's it's a great, it's it's still good storytelling, but a lot of times it feels like 
she's not as connected to the characters or the subject subjects that she's talking about as she is on other albums. Mm-hmm. Which is a shame because Kate is an artist that is very connected with what she's talking about. Mm-hmm. But with Lionheart, it kind of has that, um, she's not really, she's not fully engaged. It seems like, mm-hmm. but I do love all the songs. I do too. I mean, there might be a few on on Lionheart that I don't listen to as much as the others, but the more I listen to it, the more I go, you know what? This is actually really underrated. It's got every song is like is like a, a movie set to music, and that's unusual for for a pop artist to do I mean, most most of your mainstream pop artists and i'm saying mainstream pop artists because she was seemed to have been marketed as a mainstream pop artist at the time that most of them you're like oh yeah so-and-so is releasing another album and yeah it's going to be about whatever breakup or something like it's really clear that everything is all about them but that's not the case with Kate's music. And I know that's part of what I what I like about Kate's music is that it's not it that she's telling a story in all of her songs and it's it's just really interesting like you just don't get that you don't really get that a lot in a lot of pop music. Even back then like you know if she's saying Lionheart was rushed and it was you know the album that she felt required to do even if that's the case and that's where the, you know, the perspective that she came from, it's still heavier and I don't know, heavier. It's still very dense compared to what was happening from the regular pop scene in 1978. Mm-hmm. It just, I mean, it was pop music and it was, I'm sure that after they played wow, it was probably, you know, whoever was there out John, Abba, you know, disco, like all of the lighter stuff that was happening, it was played right next to them because it was the same type of popular music. Mm-hmm. But the density of it was nowhere near any of those. It was a much, much higher mm-hmm. quality of storytelling. And that's what shocked me. I mean, and especially in today's climate, you just don't, everything is so homogenized and it's all on one level. You yeah. don't hear storytelling anymore. It's all about producing it's all about the latest writer or producer that has a hot artist that they can make a song for. And so most of the music that you hear on the radio, the artists aren't connected to the songs because they didn't write them. Mm-hmm. Whereas Kate Bush, like even in the most diluted ways, she, you're still getting a really heavy presentation of visual art. I mean, she's always talked about, you know, more and more taking on um, the task of a, uh, videos and directing Mm -hmm. and that's a whole other subject of what she was able to accomplish you know with the music video i mean most of the things that she's done really really aren't music videos they're short films Mm -hmm. i mean if you look at something like breathing i don't know if the the videos for i'm not sure she i think probably on lionheart the only promotional video she had was wow i think um it? actually it was wow and hammer horror because hammer horror was the first single hammer horror that's right then they had wow and those two songs had videos that went with them and also they were performed on the tour of life and i know for coffee home ground 
the footage for it was not officially released on the Live at the Hammersmith Odeon tape, which, you know, pisses me off <laughs> endlessly. Yeah, that the entire show was not available. And I, I remember finding it on YouTube a few years ago and I went, okay, I am sitting down like lights off. I am watching this and paying attention because I've never seen this stuff before. <laughs> Whoa, this is awesome. Yeah, you don't know if it's going to get taken off. Exactly, especially with with her stuff. I gotta say, I love the visuals that Kate did for Coffee Home Ground. Have you seen the kind of the, the live version of this? I have watched it, and I watched it again before we talked because I, I wanted too. to have a fresh uh, perspective. <laughs> so and it was think? a joy. I really love no. what she did because yeah, it's that idea that she can take you know, such a dense, heavy topic, a dark topic with humor, but translate that into a very minimal... I mean, her stage show did not have a lot of props. It wasn't pyrotechnic. It wasn't you know, uh, huge risers. It wasn't video screens. It was her presenting, you know, the idea of I'm in a small theater in the twenties or thirties. And this is what I would have given you in probably, um, a small village in Germany. I don't see it in Berlin. I don't see it in a big city. I see it in a small town and that she would have produced something and said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to show you like in a small theater, this is a presentation. This is the song, and this is what um, this is what I how I see it. And she performed it with you know at the table and the dancers around her. Mm-hmm. And it was just she was kind of dainty, you know. When she was if if you watch the video, she kind of enters and then she kind of like prances and and sits down at the on the chair. Mm-hmm. And she's really kind of dainty and prissy, which is so it's like. Did you listen to your own song? Like this is really dark, <laughs> but she's pre- she's presenting it like really whimsical. I always think of whimsical. That's the word that always comes up when I think of that song. Hmm. And she's presenting it that way. And so it's it's what makes Kate such a great artist to listen to and to watch mm-hmm. because she she gives you a ra- a huge huge range of the song. It's not one dimensional. It's you know eight dimensions.
or I can do it this way, or I'm going to dance this way. And even though the lyrics are really dark, I'm going to dance like, you know, a fairy, or I'm going to dance like, you know, um, I don't know, a spirit or something. I mean, I think probably in Wuthering Heights, I always, I always think that she's a ghost. I mean, I don't, I don't mm-hmm. know if that's what, you know, I always think she's a ghost of Cassie. Mm-hmm. Oh, me too. She's, that's what she's going to do. You know, she's not going to dilute. She's not going to turn it into like, you know, not that there's anything wrong with hip hop dancing, but she's not going to do that. Mm-hmm. We're not going to modernize it just so you can get the point. If we're going to go there, we're going to go full, all in, 100%. Yep. We're going to go, every sense is going to tell you coffee home ground. You're going to smell the coffee. You're going to smell the bitter almonds. You're going to see the torn wallpaper. You know, you're going to hear creaking in the basement because the bodies haven't settled yet. I mean, she's going to take you to a place that is unmistakably that song for the three minutes that it's on. And that's what makes her so fascinating to listen to and to watch. And that performance is, it's a real shame that that's not part of, because, you know, how would you know that if you're, if you're a fan that's getting into it now, if you're just discovering Kate and you say, oh, this is her other concert tour, the Hammersmith Odeon presentation. How do you know that that's not complete? And I think, you know, you may not. Yeah, and I certainly didn't know that it was incomplete until years later. And it's like, at the, I, at the time, it was like, oh, well, they filmed it, but they didn't release it. Eh, we don't know where the footage is. And there's all sorts of theories as to why it wasn't released. It's everything from, oh, the sound wasn't very good to, oh, well, the visuals didn't turn out very well because the cameras were not good enough to pick up like subtle lighting like there were all sorts of excuses that I read as to why it wasn't officially released. And then a couple of years ago, somebody leaked this to YouTube and I went, okay, turn off the lights. I'm going to watch this. And this was one of the, um, one of the unreleased performances that really stood out to me because it reminds, it, it fits the song. It's a, such a cute routine. It looks like something out of something like Chicago it reminds me of, in a way, it reminds me of the um, the prison scene where they're doing "He Had It Coming" and the and the and the women are doing stuff with chairs oh, and they're moving around. Like, I, I, it, totally I totally get a Chicago vibe from this, and it fits the song so well because it's it's all like musical and old cabaret and that she she was doing something what fascinates me too is that like like we were talking about that she was doing something very different from everybody else at the time she was doing like she was her stuff was closer to david bowie like what he was doing for his diamond dogs shows and like taking this into the realm of performance art that you just didn't get at the time. And that, oh, nowadays it's like, oh, well, that's the Super Bowl halftime show. We're recording this on Super Bowl Sunday, by the way. And like, it's just completely <laughs> normal now that you're going to like, yeah, you're going to dance around with the, the mic, the, the headset mic. But at the time it was like, what is she doing? Huh? This is new. Do you know if there's any other song i i haven't looked it up but do you know if there's any other songs that were filmed that weren't included actually let me see um coffee home ground actually i'm gonna look at my phone here um the ones that were not included 
were the saxophone song, Room for the Life, The Man with the Child in His Eyes, Egypt, L'Amour Looks Something Like You, The Kick Inside, The Warm Room, Full House, Kashka from Baghdad, Coffee Home Ground, In Search of Peter Pan, which is a real shame on that one because I actually prefer the live version um, to the album version. I can't believe that all of these were filmed and not included. Yeah, and then the rest of them, like Feel It, Kite, James and the Cold Gun, those were all, all filmed. But no, like half the show was missing. I was like, uh, oh, that's such a shame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the downsides too, and I know, I know it's her choice, and you know, it's her music, it's her show, and I, I understand that it's her ownership, and I'm not taking that away from her. But one of the downsides of um, Kate Bush is that we don't have different tours to, you know, to um, compare performances like if she did coffee home ground in 78 or 79 how would coffee home ground look in 85 or after it was influenced by the red shoes in 94 mm-hmm. like we don't have those things so um if anyone can leak all of those performances <laughs> so that we can see them <laughs> that would be fantastic that is a call to anyone that's listening or anyone mm-hmm. that could do it because we have so few opportunities to see the things, you know, live and then, you know, uh, the tour that she did, the you know, before the dawn, like the, I don't know, the, the people that saw the, that in concert, I don't know anyone else will be able to see those performances, really. Yeah, so there were, I mean, there's supposedly the, the demo versions of the song that will probably never see the light of day. I would love to know what a demo of this sounded like. That would be cool. Um, the album version and then the live version, which was not even officially released. And that's pretty much it. Like, she only ever did this on the tour of life, really. I'm most interested in, if I had, if I had a choice, I would go for would she go for another tour or could I see the demos on this particular song? I would choose the demos. I mean, to hear something like, I think it was, um, sat in your lap. Mm -hmm. I think when you hear that in your lap, the demo and the actual song, the basic idea is there, but it really comes, it really comes to life when she finished it. Like it's obvious the journey that it took, that it was a long journey to make. Yeah. Um, but you can hear how she got there. She, you can hear how she got from point A to point B. With Coffee Home Ground, the way they're describing what it sounded like before, I just don't, I can't imagine it sounding anything like it does now. I mean, just a completely different vibe, everything. I can't either, because it's, because what part of what makes this song so unique is the arrangement that she's taking this this very whimsical European kind of arrangement and using it to talk about a very dark topic, which is, oh, my God, I think somebody's trying to kill me. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <sighs> How do I get out of here? How do I get out of this house? Yeah. <laughs> she has something about houses. 
Oh, well, get out of my house. Scary houses. Yeah, she has something about scary houses. I don't know. Maybe she's, uh, you know, I think if I ever were able to interview Kate, a lot of a lot of the questions I'd ask her wouldn't be about music. (laughs) It would be about (laughs) like, you know, I know you like The Shining, but what really scared you about it? Like, I, I really would love to know. Um, you know, did you read the story? I think it's called The Landlady that we were mm-hmm. talking about before. Yeah. You know, did you read the story? Like, what? I know there were probably dark parts of it, but what part made you laugh? Mm-hmm. That's what I would like to know <laughs> because uh, obviously she found she found some of those things humorous because of the way that she sings them. Yeah, because she's singing this entire song in a kind of fake German accent. It even incorporates some German at the very, very end. I didn't realize yeah, for the longest was actual... time that passes. I had no idea what she was saying. I, I didn't just, pick up that it was yeah. German at all. It was just jumbled. Mm-hmm. Apparently, it's noch ein Glas mein Liebchen and es schmeckt wunderbar. And it's like, <laughs> here, it's the, in, would you like a glass, my love? It's so wonderful. Uh, we'll just... Like what, what I, I I took French I didn't take German <laughs> but I have German in me then I can like yeah. I don't know yeah. is something about that yeah you know I didn't know for the longest time that was actual German either I just figured like okay it's just her doing her thing it's just gibberish okay <laughs> yeah she must have a thing for German because in German I know shows up in um, Hello Earth mm-hmm. and also so she must have a thing for. In uh, uh, the saxophone song, you know, you'll find me in a Berlin bar in a corner brooding. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I just thought of that, too. Like, oh, hey, little connections are awesome. Okay, well, it was great. It was great talking to you. Yeah, it was so great talking I to you. And we went over so much. Like, you have so I know. much material. <laughs> Indeed. That's cool. I, I like I like having too much than too little. So, yay! It'll be fun yeah, for me to very much. Okay, that's good. Okay, good. Oh, thank you so much for talking with me this evening. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay, we'll just be in touch then. Indeed. Thank you so much. If you have a favorite Kate Bush song or even a couple of songs that you would love to discuss on a future episode, please feel free to email me, kbcast at linkmedia.com. That's link with an E. You can find me on Twitter at strangekatecast. 
and also on Facebook, facebook.com slash Kate Bush Podcast. I would love to hear from you. Also, if you know something about this week's song that we didn't get to, feel free to email me as well. Thank you, and see everybody next week for the last episode of the album portion of the season. That is Hammer Horror. Now I have to ask, did you go? Did you make the the journey across the pond? Because I unfortunately did not. Like it was right as the school year was beginning, and I'm a teacher. My husband is a teacher, and we were not able to get. There wouldn't have been any way to get time off, and then we just didn't have the money to fly to London. So I didn't get to see it. Did you get to see it? <laughs> I had always said that I would always, you know, when I became a fan and realized that she didn't tour regularly, I always said I would drop everything if she ever announced a tour. A few months before, one of the other, the six artists that I've always been influenced by are Prince Madonna, um, Kate Bush, obviously, Tori Amos, Nine Inch Nails, and Cocteau Twins. So those, those six artists, I've I really studied their music at length and followed them as much as long as I've been into them. Tori Amos had um, announced her tour a few months before without any knowledge that Kate, I had no knowledge that Kate was going to tour. Um, I bought, made arrangements to see Tori Amos in six cities. Probably a few weeks later, Kate Bush announces that she's going on tour. And I said, well, I just spent thousands of dollars and I'm going to be following Tori. So I wish you two had gotten together so I could have gone next time. But no, unfortunately, I did not. Mm. Uh, I was not able to make that work. I couldn't do both. I had already committed and bought plane tickets and, you know, concert tickets for Tori. And I wasn't able to do it for Kate, which is a shame because I don't know now how we're going to be able to see the tour. I mean, we can listen to it, but I don't know that we'll ever see it. Yeah. And I think that's really unfortunate because, Hey, you know, fans like you and I, we didn't get to go see it. Hey, hello. Can we get, get the visuals and listening to it is cool. But for her to, for Kate to say, Oh, well, I didn't release the video cause I wanted you to be able to use your imagination. I'm going seriously, woman. <laughs> like for somebody. We do that anyway. Who's so like visual heavy? Like, hello, okay. <laughs> and I, ha- I know that I, I have friends that have seen the tour, but I haven't talked to them about it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm kind of in the dark of really what she did because, for a long time after the tour, I didn't want to look up anything because I thought I really thought she was going to be, you know, people. I think people said there were cameras. Mm-hmm. on certain dates and so i thought i don't want to spoil anything i don't want to read ahead and like you know figure out what the the setup is because i want to be surprised when the video comes out and so now years later i mean i think that was 2014 yep you know three plus years later i still haven't looked anything up so i'm really in the dark about um about what the state setup was like and it it's a little frustrating honestly I, I have listened to the recording a few times all the way through, but it's a little frustrating because I know how much of a visual impact I'm missing. 
Mm-hmm. Because I'm sure, I mean, there were a lot of songs that I wish she had done that at least I could have heard. Um, mainly the Dreaming songs. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's my favorite album of all time, but a Kate, Kate Bush album. But I wish uh, I could access to that, but unfortunately at the moment we don't. Yeah. <laughs> but go figure. Who knows? We can always keep our fingers crossed. Yeah, maybe someday it'll leak like the uh, the other Hammersmith songs did. Maybe. That would be awesome. Do you think we're, uh, so for Coffee Home Ground, mm-hmm. um, on, on considering all of the songs on uh, Lionheart, is this your favorite song from Lionheart? It's not an absolute favorite, but it's getting up there the more I listen to it. Um, probably my most favorite song from Lionheart is Wow. In fact, Wow is in my top 10 for Kate Bush songs um, because like the, the song is the song is so beautiful and it the the lyrics are actually uh, i think when you get past the very straightforward chorus that there are, there's a lot of like deeper meaning and everything in the song that um probably like would fly over your head if you're just listening to it in the background on the radio or something but that one's probably my absolute favorite off this album then hammer horror and symphony in blue and then this one is probably number 4 that's that's pretty pretty high marks. That's pretty high up there. I would say for myself, Coffee Home Ground is the most unique sounding. And if I were to point, you know, if you really want to know about Kate Bush and, you know, like the the meaty details about her, I would play someone Coffee Home Ground from Lionheart if they had never heard Lionheart before. That's the first song that I would start with because it's kind of like if you can get into this, then you'll mm-hmm. like the rest of the album. It's kind of like mm-hmm. the litmus test. Um, personally, though, um, Symphony in Blue is not only my favorite on the album, but it's in my top ten Kate songs. But but like I said, always I will listen. It's funny because I'll listen to Coffee Homeground before I'll listen to um, Symphony in Blue. Interesting. How come? Just out of curiosity. Yeah. Just because it represents um, that era of of music the best because it's so, and, you know, I think it's a big influence too, because like I said, I listen when I discovered Kate Bush, I discovered her through the dreaming mm-hmm. and I got that CD and it did not leave the player. I mean, this is, this is when, so I got the and it didn't leave my player in my room for about six months. I listened to it every day, all the way through several times a day. And then I made a cassette tape for the car. And so I was listening to it in the car also. And so I just got like, this is what her music sounds like. And this is what all the albums are going to sound like. And they're all mm-hmm. this far out and they're all this innovative and they're all this 
you know, jarring or however you want to describe it. And so part of it, I think, when I started listening to Lionheart second, because it was what was available, because at the time um, I had to buy, I couldn't find a lot of her releases on uh, the CDs for special order. No one ever had them. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times I would have to buy like the UK um, imports, which were like $35. You know, they were really expensive and it was expensive at the time. For 19, if I was a teenager, so making like, you know, maybe $100 a week, like that was a lot of money to spend for a CD, like $35 or something. Mm-hmm. And so the next one that I could find was Lionheart. And so hearing Coffee Homegrown, it's like, oh, this is like the dreaming because it's so crazy sounding. Like, I, you know, sat in your lap was on the radio. Like when we were talking, like, how is this on the radio? It's so <laughs> bizarre. Mm-hmm. And just like, you know, maybe some radio show played Coffee Homegrown on the radio also. And it was fascinating to me. It's a fascinating song in all the ways that we talked about in the arrangement, in the lyrics, in the story that she's telling, um, in the way that she sings the lyrics, everything. Mm -hmm. It's just so unique. But Symphony in Blue is just a beautiful, really lush uh, song. Just a beautiful song. But Coffee Homegrown always my go-to um if someone were to hand me the cd of lionheart i would automatically go to that track mm-hmm. yeah it's definitely like she's always got a theatrical kind of bent to her music especially in her earlier stuff like this song and then later on um i think on never forever when she does something like violin and like, it's just, it is like, it feels like something that could be part of a stage musical and just that she, it, this song is like just straight out of a musical. And I think it's one of the most musical theater songs she has ever done. And I absolutely love it. Yeah, I could, if she hadn't, had the group that she did, I could see her performing this. I could see her being one of the genius theater. Just be, even if something that you consider, I mean, she knows she's like, it's obvious that she would have been able to take, you know, this song and make it into a big production. Mm-hmm. You know, I always wonder who's going to do, you know, like there's um, treatment. Like I think, I think the Go Go's are the latest ones that they're people are taking. You know, an artist's music and making a musical out of it. And I, w- I'm waiting for the person who's going to do that with Kate's music. They don't <laughs> have to do anything. <laughs> Very true. Like Kate Coffee Homegrown. That that's a that's you know five minutes of stage right there. It's already done for you. Mm-hmm. You know, violin is already done for you. There's so many songs that it's like, how could you screw this up? Like, it's easy. Just there's your book. That's half of your book right there. Mm-hmm. And she's already written the music to do it. It's NFL draft season. And that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 